to This Week in Sparkling Water. I'm your host, Joachim Eriksson, and I am the host of This Week in Sparkling Water. I feel like I'm forgetting something, but I also don't know what it is, so there we go. Captain's Log. That's how this feels like sometimes. Captain's Log. Captain's Log. Um, so yesterday... Um, at work, I got a little bit of a promotion and I've been a little bit of a manager for a couple of weeks. And then last night for the first time, I was a manager in the sense that, well, I was the only manager there. So it's like, it's a restaurant and a hotel and I'm the manager and there's some servers and there's a bartender. And there's a host at the restaurant, and I'm like their manager. And it's it's weird. It's a very big psychological um, adjustment for me because I think I've always, because I've always been a loser and never been successful. I've never, like, been offered. I always told myself that I didn't want it. You know, I was never offered success, so I just told myself, I don't want to be successful. And then any idea of having people below you, having subordinates, felt like something that I absolutely never wanted. And then, I don't know, I think my period of, my three years of sobriety has been a process of psychologically uncoiling different hang-ups and just fucking letting go. And just going with the flow and just going with the universe and instead of bombarding my, this is like a quote from the AA literature, like instead of bombarding it with willpower, just, just instead of bombarding the problem with willpower, just go with it. And it's okay. So there's a snowstorm outside right now. It's crazy. We've had these like nice, it's been like 20 degrees Celsius, sunny, you walk around with a t-shirt, and now it's from nowhere. I mean, not from nowhere, because every morning my Alexa has been blinking yellow, and I've been like, Alexa, what's my notification? And she's like, extreme weather alert, starting uh, February 23rd at 2 p.m., ending on February 25th. So I've been knowing it. Because I, I've been told it by Alexa, but it's still weird. It's just, there's about no snow on the ground, but it's really snowing out there. Um, the point is that, I don't know, I think I'm going to lean into it. I think I'm going to lean into it. And the thing about like managing or not managing is like, there's so much identity wrapped up into it. And... It's like there's so much ego wrapped up into it. And I think the ego and the identity aspect is like always just part of the problem. It's never part of the solution. And I've had so much, so many thoughts on that in my life. And it's always been thoughts and observations from, from the ground level. I've always had like thoughts on my managers from the thoughts on management from the outside, if you know what I mean. Like the worst management ever was how at Sushi Kepatamura, I had this manager 
and he micromanaged everything I did, and he did it in this, like, he was a white guy. He was actually, like, half white guy, half Native American, and he gets a job at this Japanese place, and he just sort of, like, pretended to be Japanese because he, he could get away with that because he had, like, black hair and and just looked a little bit, um, for lack of a better term, Japanese-y. So he could just get away with it. So he'd be like, I think he'd been to Japan like one time, but he'd be like, oh, you know, in Japan, we drink tea like this. And he'd, he'd, he'd say we, like we, the people of Japan. But it's like, bro, you're a half white, half Native American U.S. citizen that's lived your entire life in the U.S. And you work at a Japanese restaurant. <laughs> like, isn't that a little bit weird? So that's how we talked about it, which is like, I mean, it's cool to go ball. I, I really respect going hard on something and going deep. And I really respect being nerdy about something. And he was very nerdy about it and nerdy in the sense of like really, really trying to get profound, deep knowledge on something. I really respect that. And the thing, though, is that the nerdiness can also go hand in hand with not being so good with interpersonal relationships. And that can... That can be okay, or it can be not okay. And um, in his case, there would be shit like, like I remember this one time. I remember this one time he had done an inventory of checking what wines we had, just counting all the wine. Um, and then I opened the fridge door to the wine fridge and a bottle of wine fell out. And that stressed me out because everything there was so like, that's kind of a big mistake. That's kind of like a big problem. And he was the only manager and I was the only one on. And, um, and he like criticized me for it. And then I said something, I don't remember the words so much. He criticized me and I criticized him back and was like, well, you know, when you do the inventory, just make sure that the wine bottles are not so close to the edge and that they don't lean against the door and stuff. Cause I just opened the door and it just fell out, you know? And I just sort of talked back a little bit like that instead of just taking the criticism and being like, thank you. Thank you. Japanesey. I'm nodding. Oh, thank you. Now it's like becoming, this is becoming a very anti-Japanese thing and it's really not supposed to be because I'm very grateful for those people and, and the things, the the reason I'm successful right now is mostly because of the Japanese people who torture brutalized me. I went through Japanese boot camp, restaurant boot camp, and they taught me everything and they nitpicked on everything I did every single day. And at the end of it, I was like this, I was very powerful and I knew everything because they'd spent so much time and effort on me. And as much as I didn't enjoy it in the moment, I'm so much better for it. And it's the reason for my success. So this is not an anti-Japanese thing. But he criticized me for the wine bottle breaking. And I talked back and was like, well, you know, I just opened the door and it fell out. And you just did a wine inventory. So I think we should both like just be a little bit like aware of stuff here. And maybe don't put it so close to the edge. And then what he said was, I'm your manager. And you can't talk to me like that. You can't talk to me like that. I'm your manager. That's what he said. And that to me was an ex, it was when in that moment, a lot of pieces to the puzzle fell 
into place and I realized what, what the problem was with his management style. And I realized that it was like, oh, the problem here is that you have a bunch of ego wrapped up in this, where you like derive a lot of your pleasure from the idea of being a manager and from like the idea of being above people and that sort of stuff. And it's like, oh, I didn't realize that until you said that right now, that that's what the problem is here. That's why I hate you. I hate you because you're fucking, you're leaning into this metaphor of how you're better than me because you're a manager. And it became this very clear lesson to me of how that's something people will always hate. And um, in some sense, I think it's unavoidable. Like my ex-wife, her dad was like a very, very wealthy guy. And he was a VP of one of the biggest semiconductor companies in America. And he probably had like 10,000 subordinates. And he'd had like a 30-year career of just climbing the ranks, constantly climbing and climbing and climbing. And I think at that point, when you've done 30 years of it, I think at that point, however much you're a cool guy and however much you – the point is not to put yourself above people. The point can be competition, but not so much like – I don't know. I don't know which words to use. Somehow, after 30 years of having subordinates like that and having countless subordinates, I think at some point, if you succeed at that, you just are like that. And you just become like that. And, um, I got, sorry, I got a little bit distracted there by a noise, but, but, um, yeah, but so yesterday I'm doing the thing and, and I'm really like trying to develop this new posture because it's also hard to change, to adjust your relationship with people when you have a big team of like 15 people and everyone has the same job and everyone's on the same level. And then you get picked out to be the one that's now going to manage the other 14. Then you have to like go from being having a peer relationship to having a thing where you actually sort of have to tell people what to do. And it's this adjustment that's also a little bit tricky, but that's, you know, it's a story as old as time and everyone's gone through it. And I'm just a little bit of a, an idiot who, I'm just a 35 year old who's been fighting this my whole life and never wanted to be above anyone because I was never offered. So I don't know, but everyone's being really nice, not just in the sense of now they're nice to me because I'm their boss, but like. I don't know. I think I had a good peer-to-peer -peer relationship with everyone. And now they don't mind it being me because they know I'm not going to give anyone any grief. Also, honestly, the management there is an example of how to do it. Because, I mean, it's like that book, Leaders Eat Last, which is a self-help management book that I had to read for my thesis and the point of, oh, God, I have a splinter in my knuckle here. Oh, God. That's from hours ago when I accidentally bumped into a cactus. I did the old caveman thing of using my, ah, oh, my hand is covered in 
My hand is covered in thorns from a cactus, I'm realizing. Oh, that hurts. In the, the book Leaders Eat Last is about how the, what they learn in the military, one of the things they learn in the military is sort of like, if you, leadership is like, part of leadership is to really show that you can and that you can do it yourself and that you are doing it yourself. And that's why they also need to do it. And that's like a super basic animalistic caveman psychology thing, but I think it holds true. So it's like management where I work right now, it's been a lot of like, they work super hard and they like aren't afraid to get their hands dirty and they'll do anything, you know? Management is just there super late and they put in hella hours and they take out the trash and they deal with dirty things and they fix the toilets and they bust the tables and they clean up and they do all that shit. And then everyone is like, well, they do it so we all got to do it. Because if they didn't do it, then um, they bring, they always brought almost no ego to it. Absolutely no ego. Management with extreme humility is what I've seen there. And, and um, I think I should just model, model it on that, model my behavior on how they did it. Because I always felt very, very respected by that. In China, it's the thing is always, in Chinese office life, the thing is always how everyone's on salary. Everyone makes like $2,000 a month or $1,000 a month or 500 bucks a month or something shit like that. And then you work in an office and you can't leave until your boss leaves. That's like one of the main just understandings of Chinese office life. You can't leave until your your boss is left. So you just sit there and you just plug away at work and and you look over the corner office where your boss is sitting in a glass cube in full view of everyone. And you just plug away at work and you plug away at work. And then at like 7.30 p.m. or whatever crazy time when your boss leaves to go have dinner, that's when you get to leave after he leaves as soon as that the elevator ding happens and he goes into the elevator and the elevator doors close that's the moment when you can start packing up and it's a very basic caveman form of management but it works and i mean i think in a big way america does the same way same thing it's just like when you're on salary in america there's very little work-life balance and I don't, honestly, I don't understand it. I don't understand how it works, just on the most basic level. Like, someone is offered a job, they're offered a contract, they're offered a salary, they are told that, hey, the basic amount of hours you're going to work is this, 40 hours, 45, 50, whatever number you're given. And then once you're working, your your boss can just ask you, any, they can ask, they can, there's no limit to how much work they can ask you to do because you're on salary. And then if you end up putting in 90 hours a week, then it's like, there's no one you can email about that. All you can be is like, uh, is that how it works? It's like this incredible, um, trust exercise. It's like this trust fall. Becoming salary is like this trust fall exercise where you just, 
you turn your back on space and time and you fall into space and time and you just trust that you'll be alive at the end of it, you know? As a Swede, that's very hard to understand because as a Swede, it's very much like there's a cap. There's a cap to hours and pain and I don't know. It's probably not true. I never had a real job in Sweden. It's probably not true. My mom works a fuck ton of hours. Anyway, let's, let's, oh, I knew I had forgotten something. You know what I forgot? An opener. Good thing I'm an alcoholic, so I can open an opener on anything. So we're going to start with the one that needs an opener. So this week we're doing lime mixed with other citrus. So it's two tangerine lime and it's one yuzu lime. It's very cool. Very cool stuff. So fever tree, sparkling lime, and yuzu. Given to me by Hannah. 30 calories by bottle. 30 calories per bottle. Actually, Sushi Kaputamura that I was just talking about a bunch, the Japanese place, we had this um, Toki highball. It's Toki whiskey and uh, tonic. Toki? No, it's whiskey soda. A Toki highball is just soda water. So it's um, Toki whiskey and, and soda water. And, and when you use, we, we switched from whatever we were doing, like Seagram's, to Fever Tree sparkling water, soda water. And the fever tree shit is such fine bubbles and it's like so smooth and delicious. The fever tree, it comes in these tiny bottles, but it's real fucking good stuff. Lime Yudzu. Very nice. Hmm. Very gentle on the Yudzu. Mexican lime and Japanese Yudzu. How, how cool is that? Like a, like an inter, inter-country thing like that. Hmm. Now ah, that's very nice. It's very low-key, actually. It's very humble. It's not trying to do anything crazy. It's about 80% lime and 20% yuzu, and yuzu is like this complex bitterness that you don't want too much of. Yeah, that's a very grown and sexy drink. Mm-mm. That's an 8 out of 10. That's an 8 out of 10. Oh, man. Yeah. I don't know. I'm thinking about trying to elbow my way into a salaried position, and I'm thinking about it as like a... Maybe instead of being an alcoholic, I should just be a workaholic. Maybe when I feel shit about everything, I should just go deep into work and just put in a ton of hours and just not think about it and be good at something and have a career. And You know, isn't that what it is to be a human? Isn't that the, the answer people land on in the end? Like just going hard at work is the just the least bad answer. Of all the different addictions, just... Being addicted to work is the thing that in the end just, at least you come out with something. I'm sure I'll have more to say about that later. He says and takes a long pause. 
I was talking to Castiel at work, and he told me that he listens to the podcast and that my pauses are so long and so silent that sometimes when listening, he has to check if um, the podcast app broke down and, or if it's still playing or, you know, what's really going on here. These pauses are too long, but hey, I don't know. Maybe I learned that from, I think Barack Obama taught everyone that there's no upper limit to a pause. There's no upper limit. Wow. That is such... That's real lime juice. Like, that's not artificial lime flavoring. And you know that because it's got this fogginess to it. So, um, when learning how to be a manager, I was taking all these notes on a tiny pad. And then I went home and, and transferred it over to my computer and just cleaned the notes up. And as I was doing it, I realized that there's no word for that in English. Like in Swedish, we have this incredible word, renskriv, which, um, direct translated, it's just the words clean write. You clean write it. You take your dirty notes and you clean write them into clean notes. And it's just such a useful word. And I don't understand how in America they don't do that. They just take notes and then those are the notes they go with. And those notes are so messy. Like the notes you take in real time are so messy. Like in school, the teacher is talking and you take notes and then later you look at those notes and those notes are so messy. And if you want to remember, after the class is over, you have to clean them up. You have to reinscriva. I don't understand. How is that a, yeah, that's the thing about lexical gaps. You never understand how they can exist, but they do. They do. Yeah. So, um, let's drink another water real quick here. So, lime tangerine is the other two. So, this one is, it's from a store called Raleigh's, but it's supposed to be pronounced like Raleigh's, like Israelis. That's how I try to remember it. Like, it's Israelis, Raleigh's, but it's spelled R-A-L-E-Y apostrophe S, Raleigh's. Tangerine Lime Sparkling Water Beverage, which, again, is feels redundant, and it seems to suggest that there's sparkling water, which is not a beverage. Ooh, you know what I feel about, how I feel about tangerine? I love it. Okay. Yes, it's way, that's fakey as fuck. That's terrible. That's a four out of ten. You should be ashamed of yourself. Um, so here's something abstract that I've been thinking about. I talk a lot about how when we get in the habit of saying mean things and being judgy about other people, we learn this sort of mean and judgy voice, and then it becomes impossible to not use that voice when, oh, fuck, there's a splinter in my foot now. It becomes impossible to not use that voice on ourselves. I've talked about that a bunch of times. 
we learn how to be judgy and mean to other people, and we immediately look for their flaws and look to tear them down and and just have this like spiteful, mean-spirited way of glaring at them. And then when we think about ourselves, we just become so mean to ourselves and we just think about our own flaws and we just tear ourselves down and we become these like, we become these like downward spiral, toxic-y, negative people. And it's because of this sort of how everything inside of us is, there can be these contradictory things in us, but they spiral around and they influence each other. And I've been thinking about it, a, a similar thing of how I have like this job where I spend all day working in a restaurant, which honestly, it's, it's an expensive restaurant. And so I spend all day trying to explain to people why it's fine that it's expensive and why we have to spend money to get good things. And if we respect ourselves, we have to spend a lot of money and like just I'm, all day. I'm just out there trying to put out this vibe. Like 15 bucks is nothing. 15 bucks for a cocktail is nothing. If you want a nice cocktail, that's going to be 30 bucks. If you want a really nice cocktail, that's going to be more than that. And it's like I'm, I'm all day I'm just trying to put out that vibe and trying to convince people that that's true. And then I've made this observation that, you know, oh, what, you want a plate of food? Yeah, that's going to be 40 bucks. And And I'm noticing in myself that because that's – I'm so steeped in that attitude at work that it makes me – when I'm not at work, it makes me spend so much more money on myself because I spend all that time putting that vibe out that that vibe also influences me. Because like our outside and our inside and all of the different parts of us on the inside, we can hold, a person can hold all these different contradictory views, which is already counterintuitive to us. Like we expect ourselves and other people to have like, one coherent way of looking and thinking about things, but that's not reality. In reality, we have like extremely contradictory things going on within each of us. But at the same time, all of those different things are always changing and they're always interacting with each other and influencing each other. So we're all walking around as these sort of like multiple personality type of people, but all of our different personalities in there are like in conversation with each other and they're constantly negotiating with each other and they're constantly changing each other. And it's weird. And it just feeds into my understanding of how we, we really are nothing. And we really are like, if we think of ourselves as these like static things where your identity is something it's like it's really far from the truth because goddamn i spend a lot of money and goddamn i convince people to spend a lot of money <clears throat> but it's 2022 dude i mean inflation inflation is crazy you know i have these arguments with guests where sometimes they're like a cup of tea is five dollars it's just a bag of tea but it's like bro we're trying to run a business like running a business in 2022 is very difficult and baked into the price of every item is the cost of all the people you see in there and the cost of the building and all of it. 
It's very, it's very hard to run a business. Let's do another water. So, so this is signature select tangerine lime. One more tangerine lime. Sparkling water beverage. God damn it, we're there again. Sparkling water beverage, the pattern I'm noticing is that when they say that, they mean that this is not, they're not trying to compete with LaCroix. They're trying to put themselves right in between LaCroix and Pepsi. Less flavor and sugar and sweetener than Pepsi. More flavor and sugar and sweetener than LaCroix. Okay, at least that's a lot more fresh and not fakey. That's actually super real. Oh my God, that's like putting a VR headset on and just like in in a VR world, just dunking your head and dunking your head in a massive tangerine. Mm. That's very, that's like real tangerine. But it's not very watery, and it's not really what we're looking for here on the pod. So, so it's a 5 out of 10. It's a 5 out of 10. So I've been doing my taxes. First of all, good news. I was paying 400 bucks a month last year for health insurance, and then after the fact... When looking at it all together, I'm realizing that because I got unemployment benefits for a little bit last year, there was some tax credit where I shouldn't have been paying for health insurance. So they're going to give all that money back to me. So like, I'm going to get like four grand or something. So that's good. Excuse me. Big old, big old taxation burp there. Um... But so because I was doing my taxes, I went on the Swedish tax department because I was checking some stuff. And next year, I clearly have to tell the American tax department that I sold some, that in 2022, I sold some, some funds and, and sold off some investment, in, investments in Sweden and stuff. But, but what I was going to say is in Sweden, the tax department's slogan, first of all, the tax department has a slogan. The tax department's slogan is Tillsammans gör vi samhället möjligt. That's the slogan of the Swedish tax department, which if you translate it directly, it's Together we make society possible. And I think the word possible there is so strong. Because a very soft, bland statement that everyone could that no one would be offended by is to say, together we make society better. But possible is this extremely strong, brave thing, because it's literally implying that without the tax department, without the Swedish tax department, society wouldn't be possible. And that's not something the, the internal revenue service in America could get away with. Because in America, the vibe is, 
most people are on the side of, you know, we don't need these things. No, not most people. <clears throat> then Biden wouldn't have won Georgia. You know? Because Biden won Georgia. And we checked that math and we, Arizona, we checked the math. We checked the math again. We send in, we send in some people called the monkey code ninjas or whatever, cyber warrior ninjas, cyber ninjas. We had them double check the math. Biden won Arizona. So most people know that to make society possible, we need a tax department. But in the story America tells about itself, that's not the attitude. The attitude is more like, we don't need anything. Do away with all of these departments. IRS is such a weird name, but I, and, and it would be so much more straightforward to, for it to just be called tax department. But then I realized that there are tax departments in America. It's just on the state level, they're always called tax departments. Like there's a California tax department. There's just no federal tax department. It's a little observation for you guys. Yeah. I don't know. I think I'm going to try to be a manager, and I think it goes very much hand-in-hand hand with my sobriety. I think before... I see people who smoke too much weed, and when you smoke too much weed, you can't manage people, and you can't be managed. People who smoke too much weed, I see this all the time, like, as soon as there's a mistake, like, if you have an employee and they smoke too much weed and then there's a mistake in their paycheck, they always immediately believe that there's some big conspiracy where management is out to get them. And I relate to that so much because I used to be like that. But reality is more like, bro, someone just made a mistake. Just tell, tell them that a mistake was made. Just, just have the subordinate tell the manager that a mistake was made and it will be rectified. There's no fucking grand conspiracy where no one is out to get you, bro. I really wonder about, like, the, a thing in America where weed has become completely culturally acceptable is very much fueled by this idea of like no one has overdosed on weed and it makes you kind of docile, docile compared to alcohol. It doesn't make you aggressive and it's all these things that are just better than alcohol. So it's been smuggled into society and, and there's been this massive, it's one of the big cultural shifts, right? Like, one big one was like how people actually went from not being okay with gay people in the 80s and to now actually being okay with gay people. That need, We just moved the needle on that one. And with weed, we just moved the needle. And I just really wonder, though, in a counterfactual, like, alternative history, like, what if weed just didn't exist? How would certain things be different? Because I really think that there is really, really subtle ways that weed changes your way of thinking, even when you're not really smoking weed. But you smoke a bunch of weed every night, and then in the daytime your thinking is still affected by it, and it's just like your thinking always is affected by it. And there's just things where, like they, 
they, they, I read this one article about a study where they found that people who smoke weed, that the pattern finding ability in the brain is just dialed up. So you just find patterns, even when there are none. So you find a signal in noise. And I think, I just really wonder about what if America was, everything is the same, but weed just doesn't exist. Would we have less conspiracy theories? And would we have less, fewer Donald Trump supporters? And would we have fewer people that just think that there's this grand thing where someone is out to get them? Because I really think that might be the case. I think there might be a weird connection there. We're like, yes, everyone smokes weed, and then people aren't as violent, and there's, you know, so many upsides to alcohol, so much better than alcohol in so many ways. But there's still a downside to it. And now, you know... I'm doing this sort of full sobriety and I don't have that in my life. And I think maybe I, it's time for me to uncoil some of my psychological hangups and maybe just, maybe I can do it. Maybe I can be a manager. And I think the key is to just not overthink it. Just get used to it. And if you need something from someone, just ask them to do it. And don't bring yourself to, don't bring all of your ego into it. It's easier said than done, but some people can do it. And I think I can learn how to do it. Just something needs to be done. Five things need to be done. There's five of us. I'm going to tell four people to do the four different things, and I'm going to do one of them myself. And that's just how management is. You show everyone that you're also working yourself. And yeah. Leaders eat last. I don't know. <clears throat> These are like some very low-level thoughts, but that's that's all I got. That's all I got. Tonight I'm going to go see a comedy show, and I'm really excited. I got to go soon, actually. <laughs> I'm going to go see Scott C's because I've been following him on Instagram and he, he makes these memes and they're all the same format. They're all like just his face. And in the background on a fakey weird blue screen, he put in an Ikea background and the music is always the same where it's like the super dramatic switch music and where he goes like first he impersonates being a customer and he's like, can I use the employee bathroom? And that's him impersonating being a customer at Ikea. And then he switches to impersonating being himself working at Ikea. Where he's like, do you work here? Do you fucking work here? Do you think you can use the employee bathroom? Are you a fucking employee? You want me to give you uh, an application? You want to sign out an application? <laughs> and all of them are the same format. And they're all like that. And they're all hilarious. And it's actually... I'm interested to know if a man who can do those jokes in and they're all seven seconds long and they're all the exact same format and they all have the ikea background and the dramatic music and the switch and in the beginning of all of them he impersonates being a customer and in the end of all of them he impersonates being an employee and it's just this 
strict format like that. And I really wonder, can someone who's good at that strict format, because he is, can that person stand on stage with a microphone and be funny for 40 minutes and do stand-up comedy? I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. I've been going to some comedy shows, and it's good. I like it. I went to Dimitri Martin a couple of weeks ago, and it was... um it was good and it was good exactly what for the reason I was expecting of like the, cause Dimitri Martin is like super PG and super kind of lame and not my style of comedy, but just any comedian, especially any super experienced comedian, it's just funny to see him in person in person. There's just this tension in the room, like anything can happen and they do crowd work and you're there and you're like part of this, it's like this social contract thing that even if you filmed it and watched it on Netflix later on, it's just not, it doesn't translate as to Netflix because in the room, some shit happened and it got intense and it was like, he just would ask people like, just, what are you guys thinking about? Just throw out a concept and I'll talk about it. And someone was like pubes. And then he talked about pubes for a little bit, but then he would just be like, they would throw out concepts, he would talk about it, and he would just do crowd work. And then someone's phone started ringing, and then the person was like in the first row. So he would like just not even roast the person. He would just be like, who who just called you? And the person would be like, it was your mom. And then Dimitri Martin is like, well, my mom died from Alzheimer's in 2019, so I don't think it was my mom. And he like just got super real with it. And then like... Someone else is like, Alzheimer's, like as if they want him to talk about Alzheimer's, even though it's clearly like he's super upset and his mom just died. And then he's like, yeah, Alzheimer's, you know, I don't really have anything funny to say about Alzheimer's because uh, like I just worry about that I have it and stuff. And I'm just like, and he just got super depressed. <laughs> and then the, some people in the crowd got super mean and we're like, we think you have Alzheimer's. And it just wasn't cool. <laughs> And he like, yeah, he just got really upset because he was trying to counter their trying to be funny and mean with trying to be so real that everyone just stops dead in their tracks. But these people just couldn't match that energy. So they just kept being mean and he just kept matching it with being like, yeah, well, I'm like, honestly, really, really still grieving the death of my mother. And <laughs> it, got so, it got so human, you know? It got so human and fucked up and weird. And it's like that sort of stuff, even if you film it and watch it on Netflix later on, even if they film it and you get to watch it later on Netflix, on Netflix, it doesn't have that, th it doesn't have that, that tension that was in the room. Cause in the room it was like, oh, God, this is awful. And, he, and then he like went into this thing where he was just standing off to the side, just sort of saying things to himself into the microphone and being like, wow. I really got shitted on in Sacramento. <laughs> and it's so fucking funny because people hate Sacramento and Sacramento has a horrible reputation in every sense, like as a comedy city, as a place to live, as a place with culture, as a place with just like, it's not even a city. It's just like a bunch of neighborhoods glommed together. And it's just like crime infested and horrible and cultureless. It's just this wasteland. And then you just like... <laughs> <laughs> leaned into that and it's so fucking funny 
Oh, and it was brutal. It's like, I'm like in row, you know, five million. I'm like all the way in, in the audience. But I still feel so connected to the cringe of it all. And I still feel like somehow I'm implicated or like I'm involved or just because I'm in the room, I just feel like uh, the cringe is like unavoidably torturous. I think literally if I felt anything like that on and while watching a Netflix thing, I would just turn it off. And one of the powers of watching live comedy is that I literally cannot turn it off. It's like very hard to walk out. And if you walk out, you like become part of, you like get roasted and you become part of the crowd work. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. It's a whole thing. So yeah, we'll see what happens tonight. This is like an even, this is like a way less experienced comedian. So I don't know. It's interesting. I think I'm going to, um, I think I got to go. It's a 45 minute episode, but I got, um, I got to get the show on the road. I love you guys. Thank you for listening.